So I wrote you a poem this afternoon so that I could organize myself uh, around talking. And I I have to say, I was so impressed. Uh, I got the notes. No, it was a big deal. Uh, The notes from Mary Grace. And uh, even though over the years they've gotten bigger and bigger, the type, (laughs) uh, which is true, but it was the organizational piece that was, uh, you know, I'll talk a little bit about it, but it it was uh, really inspiring, you know. Uh, Since this is the way I have to organize, you know, it's so different. So this is called Journeying. Colors bursting on retina, grass and trees washed clean, Entrancing, eyes, ears, nose, mind. California spring, bursting towards summer. This valley, vibrating towards its own creation. This silence, so keenly decreed. Only this wind blowing can actually speak in this inhabited valley. Speaking only the language of leaves and branches rubbing. We came to this enchanted valley so this human silence could tear bitterly at these closed places. You know, the betrayals, the pains, the regrets, Moments of all sorts, lost forever, good and bad, drowned in all of time. Slowly, to regain this fundamental clarity, this afternoon's wind blowing new thoughts down, down towards the great highway, Remembering, holding to anything is not the point. Holding to anything is not the point. Could it be like a waking dream? This clear, buoyant mind, wide like the sky has no need of any object. Finding some balance, these factors awakening themselves. This crucible of a teeter-totter balanced on the head of a pin. Everything comes to this center point. The known world vanishes. Mind and its dualism has lost its home. All separateness untrue. All separateness untrue. So tonight, I was thinking last night about 
even though I didn't hear Mary's talk. Um, just reading through her notes and stuff, this piece around selflessness and joy. And this morning as I was walking down to breakfast uh, on the other side of the creek there, uh, this little baby fawn you know, with all its spots, little teeny one, you know, and it came tearing out. I mean, just, at, you know, I don't know, highest speed it could go, bounding across, you know. And it went and did this whole circle and ran right back to where it came from in the bushes, you know. And I thought, oh, that's just like my mind, you know. <laughs> it just kind of bounds out and runs around and then it goes back to where it started. I think you know this, don't you? You know. So tonight, um, you know, and there was so much, I, it was, there was so much joy there. Selflessness and joy was definitely the piece there that uh, uh, kind of exhibited itself. So tonight I would like to explore with you which are known as the kind of factors of awakening. And traditionally, they're also called the 30, 37 wings of awakening. But since I can't remember them all, it's much simpler to just do the kind of what they call the seven factors. So I'd like to just explore this with you as a, a way of, um, you know, it is this, on this pinhead, this teeter-totter that we have to uh, work with uh, to find balance uh, in our practice. And so in the tradition, there's usually the, uh, the kind of pinnacle point here. And sometimes I like to describe this as a, I don't know, I guess I was up in Jackson Hole, Wyoming teaching one year and it was snowing and there were these snow plows going by and I thought, oh, that's really the seven factors. You know, there's this mindfulness uh, which is really the center point that we're working with. And uh, then there are uh, the kind of uh, what they call the arousing factors uh, and um, the balancing factors of um, that in essence, uh, are working, we're working with them all the time. They are natural in the mindfulness. But it's good to be quite specific with them because it can really help uh, you kind of find that teeter-totter where we're always kind of swinging, uh, helping us come back into balance in some way. So I had this... Uh, it's kind of, I was thinking, oh, do I want to do this? Yes, I want to do this. This morning uh, in the interviews, and I love the interviews. I think they're just something so uh, personal in, in how uh, we get to, uh, you know, have this exchange with you. Uh, even though it's short, uh, it's so profound in a lot of ways uh, for us as teachers. You know, and, and I was going to say, I just remember many, many years ago, this was back in actually probably 1970 or something like that, and I, uh, I guess it was about 72 or 73, and uh, my teacher at the time uh, would have me go in and sit with people who were going through kind of freakouts and stuff. And he told me, just go in and just sit and do metta. You know, that's all. So I would just do loving kindness for him. I didn't know anything more than that. It was good enough. You know, it was kind of containment that, uh, and the whole idea of just, uh, you know, having this exchange in front of someone. You know, so a lot of times I think when I sit there um, in the sense of uh, 
what, what, you know, what is it that goes on? And so I just wanted to say, you know, for me, it's much more about the fact that if I can keep my attention in my body, you know, and uh, stay open to the exchange, not think so much, and see if I can't find my heart, you know. And I just say that to you because I think in some ways that's all, that's somewhat what we do. Yes, there are questions and how the practice works, but that's really uh, what it is that's going on there, is this um, profound exchange, you know. Um, one of the pieces this morning, I always think, oh, this is kind of embarrassing to say, you know. Um, in 2004, I, um, one of the people in the room here wrote me a couple letters, and uh, I did not reply. And I think this has happened many times, but I want to just talk about how this has worked in my life, because... Um, uh, when I first started teaching, I actually was afraid to answer notes uh, because I couldn't spell. And um, it, was, it was so hard, you know, because I wanted to, but I realized I was so embarrassed. And that uh, when I had been young, and I, I went to the India in the 60s, uh, because I couldn't really manage it here. This was so out of uh, what I could accomplish in some way. You know, I'd grown up in Europe, and, and I was a smart kid, but uh, I was extremely dyslexic, and I still am. I can't type. You know, so I, if I sit down, I'll type different letters or something goes. So I don't write, you know, very rarely. The only thing I do now, which in the last two years has been uh, Dragon Speaks, you know, has been a miracle for me. You know, but prior, it wasn't there. And then I remember in, I guess, 2005, 2006, I went to India, and I was studying in Dharamsala. And what I decided to do was, I didn't care if I couldn't spell. What I'd do is just write. And so I'd go to class every day, and I would just write. And I wrote all these notebooks of illegible notes, you know. But it actually gave me the confidence uh, to start... Um, you know, and I do, I, I apologize if I do misspell words in it, but at least I do it now, you know? And it's been this whole practice of, of uh, kind of recognizing, you know, an unseen handicap and then, um, you know, and trying to disappear out of this culture and then coming back into it and realizing, oh, you know, I have to figure this out, you know? So it's been a really challenge uh, in uh, trying to, uh, to do that. And I think it was Mary's notes that, you know, uh, made me realize that you know I couldn't sit here and if I was going to read notes I would it would be a mess you know <laughs> I did try in the beginning so these factors of awakening which are to me you know the way uh, this all works in some way is we yes we have to kind of explore ourselves and see that there are these you know these stories and these old hurts and these kind of these shadow pieces that in essence, you know, they have to be uh, untangled or, uh, in a sense, exposed, and they happen here, you know? And a lot of times, uh, the first retreat, sometimes they're not so exposed. But as we go deeper, and, and as I explained about the ocean and the, 
and the waves on top, which is kind of the surface world we live in, there are these currents as you begin to drop down that, um, that uh, you can't fight, you know, that we have to use this, uh, this wakefulness, this mindfulness to attend to it, you know. And attending to it is actually the process of untangling or, or um, disempowering. Uh, the, a lot of times the stories and the, um, you know, the hurts and the fears and the, uh, the betrayals and the uh, pains and the things that, in essence, haven't gone our way. And then there are also those things that went our way. You know, but guess what? They're gone. You know, they couldn't stay. So there's this truth of, uh, of us, in, in essence, allowing ourselves to be moved. Uh, our hearts and, and uh, uh, this ability to stay with the breath and the present uh, to release. You know? So that's, in essence, kind of the old. You know? And uh, we do that. And it happens here, whether you like it or not. Uh, but in that process, we began to see that there is also uh, a balancing act going on here. And that balancing act has to do with uh, the fact that, uh, that the mind, because uh, this really is a mind training, in being able to actually uh, connect. You know. And so certainly in the first, it's, it's pretty jumbled. But as you begin to settle down some, then the, the mind actually begins to uh, settle. And uh, the awareness of the breathing and the body and uh, the recognition of the kind of these uh, impermanent movements called emotions that come. And then just like that little uh, baby fawn out there, uh, these thoughts that uh, just, you know, they come out of nowhere, you know. And uh, when the mindfulness is there, uh, there's this capacity for us in some way. It's not that we're trying to change things. It's really, in essence, that we're kind of holding it in some way. And to hold it uh, is very... Um, in a sense, uh, self-regulating. And these factors of awakening, first of all, you know, and I said this, it's kind of like a snowplow. In the center of it is this thing called mindfulness. You know. And that mindfulness uh, really, uh, when it's defined, it's really just memory in some ways. We're remembering to be here. We're remembering to be here. But it isn't, you know, anything that you can put your kind of finger on because it's only something that arises uh, due to the cause and conditions uh, of this attention. You know. But if that's all it was, there are many, you know, probably many creatures out there who are extremely, uh, in a sense, uh, their attention on whatever it is, is highly refined you know, and can stay. 
So there's also a parallel that's happening. So when we begin to actually rest our mind from moment to moment on something as simple as the breath or the body, you know, uh, that what begins to happen is that there is an intelligence there uh, that in essence kind of co-arises. And they use the word sampapajana, which is clear comprehension. So when that mindfulness begins to build on, it, build on itself, there is uh, this clarity and really intelligence that arises with it. And uh, traditionally they talk about it having kind of four aspects, which I think are really important uh, to name. And uh, the first of these is, is clear comprehension of purpose. You know? So in essence, when you are uh, mindful and that that intelligence that clear comprehension uh, recognizes that there is a fundamental purpose here. You know, and that purpose is not something that uh, we manufacture. You know, there's a, a, this is from Ramakrishna, a line, you know, the fabled musk deer searches the world over for the source of, his, of its scent, which comes from itself which comes from itself. So as this mind begins to settle, and in, in essence it's kind of calling on its own intelligence, uh, that uh, when the mind moment after moment is present, uh, that there is this clarity knowing somehow inside you that Buddha isn't out here somewhere. You know, that actually it's something that's already inside you, you know, that's always been part of you, and that you can begin to uh, relax and, and trust in the, you know, uh, that you don't have to make anything up about anything, that you can actually trust that this mindfulness, this just a momentary awareness, has an intelligence. And that intelligence uh, also recognizes that you can trust. Uh, they talk about, they use the word adaptability or suitability. That they're in that clear comprehension that there is also a knowing to how to act and react to things. It's built in you. It's part of that, uh, you know, your basic goodness, you know, which is what is being pointed at here, that it's inherent in you. And that because of that, you know, that um, instead of trying to remember, and this is the third part of it, is there is a automatic remembering uh, that's built into staying mindful in that intelligence. And they also say there is a clear comprehension of reality. And that's a huge thing right there. But from reality, from this point of view, is the fact that when that mindfulness uh, is precise and there, 
uh, and we recognize that we're in essence kind of making up our world. And then if we can break it down into its uh, primal pieces, that everything is made up of parts. You know, everything's made up of parts. You take and you just break it on down. And when you get down to the smallest particle, which, you know, may have, you know, in essence they say, oh, it has, you know, the four directions. But if you let go of that, then uh, what is it? You know, and I, I don't want to answer that. It's just, you know, it's just that there is this phenomena that that deconstruction process uh, arrives I'm not going to say, because that's for you. You know, it arrives. And to actually recognize that you've broken it down to its finest particles and actually seen through those particles, then there is this clear comprehension of purpose simply says that there's no separation that if you've broken it down into nothing, then it's also non-separate. So this is a big piece, but it's it'll fun to play with, actually. You know, so this is the, the the kind of foundation, this mindfulness and this clear comprehension that are built together, and that there is uh, a truth of who you are uh, that allows you to begin to trust the fundamentals here. Now, as part of these fundamentals, there's also this, as I said, this kind of, what is it? uh, This uh, crucible of teeter-totter balanced on the head of a pin. You know, and this is our practice. You know, it'd be nice to say, okay, uh, we're always kind of in balance and in harmony with that. But the truth is, uh, there's this teeter-totter. It's a sort of like a, um, you know, uh, I don't know, a razor's edge, uh, a tight rope uh, that uh, is in the center of our experience. But what we have to do is find out how to uh, balance ourselves. And it's nice to have teachers you can sit up front of and ask questions and all this stuff, but the truth is, uh, this is a practice that you are teaching yourself, you know, and that is the bottom line here, you know, that you're teaching yourself in, in how to hold experience. And traditionally, they have what are known as the arousing factors, which are there, and the others are the stabilizing factors. And the arousing factors are uh, these uh, fundamentals, first of all, that uh, there is the use of the mind, uh, which has to do with investigation or inquiry. You know, and I think Gil the other night talking about uh, these, the kind of our four practices here of uh, some kind of the uh, breath and body and uh, emotions and mind, that... There has to be, and it's an energetic piece that uh, that if we need energetically, to, we know we're out of balance. We're just kind of 
um, you know, what was this morning? One of the questions was um, uh, the difference between spaced out and spaciousness, you know. And if you find yourself spaced out, sometimes it's really helpful to actually stop and uh, inquire uh, into what's happening. And it is, a, it is really a practice of using the mind uh, to investigate uh, what is occurring. You know? And that has the capacity to, to kind of bring us sometimes out of that spaciness or uh, some kind of uh, fogginess or uh, disconnectedness or dissociation of some kind it can actually bring that up. Now, one of the problems, if, if you get too much uh, into uh, this investigation is there's also an extreme of it where it throws it out of balance. That's why it's so tricky. Is that too much investigation uh, actually creates an anxiousness where uh, the uh, mind, instead of taking the energy, it actually destabilizes itself in some way. And, and, And if there isn't enough stabilization, then uh, it becomes a problem, you know, it becomes actually a hindrance. So just to recognize that, because it's a piece, you know, uh, one of the things about um, Westerners, you know, that I have come across is we have a great capacity for inquiry. You know, it is one of our gifts. As as those of us that come here that kind of leave their, uh, you know, their, you know, um, you know, or expand their religion or whatever you want to call it, you know, that in, in sense go beyond that and really have this uh, capacity to question what's going on. And you're all here because you did question. So you all have this as a piece of that, um, you know, support, you know. So there's that. Uh, the second of these is, has to do with energy, and it's also an arousing factor. And I was thinking, I was watching, uh, there were people walking up and down, you know, very fast today in the afternoon, and I was going, oh, that is really a part of bringing energy to the body, or also in doing yoga, you know, that it also uh, can stimulate in some way uh, in balance, but actually uh, bring energy to the body, especially, you know, this, this sitting. Um, in the first years of my sitting practice, uh, I sat where we would sit, you know, from four in the morning till 10 at night, and we didn't do walking. So we sat hour after hour after hour after hour. You know, it's, that's, you know, I was young. <laughs> you know, and, you know, it works. Uh, but I remember I had a really hard time, you know, um, then picking up on the walking uh, because the other had been so involved in, in uh, you know, kind of uh, shutting all the sense doors down. Of course, walking is, uh, is, in a sense, kind of opens that up, but it also, it brings energy. So we try to find this balance in our practice between the kind of sitting here and being very settled, you know, and uh, then 
balancing it uh, with walking, which can help kind of bring the energetics up so that we can be more mindful, because that's really what we're talking about here, is that, uh, that mind that can uh, r- really rest in itself. Yeah. And again, uh, when we talk about energy, we talk, we're talking about the body, just like the investigation, we're talking about the mind. And now the third of these arousing factors uh, is uh, a word that actually Mary was using this word joy. You know? And I think sometimes we don't emphasize it enough that it's actually inherent and built in to the mindfulness. You know? That if we actually look and see that uh, in the moments uh, that we're not, you know, spacing out or getting lost, but we're actually quite present and with the breath that there is uh, built into that, uh, there is, you could say, one side of it is non-conflictual because there's really no conflict. But the other side is that, and a lot of times we don't uh, look so carefully, you know. Um, And so we walk around and sometimes, you know, there's a little bit of grimness uh, in all this, you know. But actually in the mindfulness itself, built into it, uh, is this joy. And sometimes when, you know, you find yourself, um, you know, in spaced outness or sleepiness or something, you can actually reflect or put your attention on the fact that when you're mindful, there is built into that, there is this, um, you know, I could almost call it like an, it's not an effervescence in some ways, but it is a lightness of being, you know? And that lightness of being uh, is something that is inherent. It's part of that, you know, basic goodness. It's already available to you. You know, it's not something you're going to bring in. It's something you simply have to notice. You know, one of the things, and I was talking about the first, that first night was the end uh, in the practice, I've become so aware that sitting on earth, you know, that, uh, that there is something that is noticed uh, in the fact that right now, where you're sitting, uh, you are being held, you know, and, and there's a, a truth in that, that you're being held and there's no reason uh, that... Uh, you should distrust that, you know, that you're being held and that there's a way that if you put your attention in your physical body right now, just in, you know, your butt on the pillow or chair or bench, you know, that there is this acknowledgement that in that, uh, that you're being held. And there it can be a sense of ease uh, or relaxation that is built into it. It's not something you have to make up. It's something that is, in an essence, already there. But a lot of times we just go to the body awareness and don't recognize the fact that you're being that this is uh, that you're being supported. You know, uh, just because you are the play of these four elements. You know and that uh, the earth is part of those elements and you're not separate from it. 
And that in that, there's actually the ability in that mindfulness to name ease. You know, it's uh, something that also is inherent. It's not something we make up. It's something that's just something that is noticeable. You know? So these are the kind of the th- they're what they call the arousing factors. And they are that that, um, you know, at different times, we can rely on one of these, which I really see as these three aspects of, of the mind or the body, or actually the joy is about the heart, you know, and that we can touch into that and uh, give ourselves uh, permission uh, to be moved by it, you know. And again, in when in the energy, if it's, too high, of course, then we have restlessness. And uh, if there's, if we get too caught up in the joy, then there's uh, kind of that effervescence turns into exuberance, which means we actually lose the mindfulness. So again, these things have to be uh, kept in balance. And this is all about kind of the teeter-totter of finding some balance there. And I'm just talking about one side of it right now. So those are kind of the arousing factors. And then on the other side of that uh, are, again, this awareness of um, mind, body, and heart. And uh, the first of these has to do uh, with the fact that um, there is uh, the truth that uh, something called tranquility. And tranquility is a lot to do with what we're doing here in the sense that we come in the room, we sit down, we shut up, and uh, we put our body uh, in a position uh, that uh, instills or brings to our awareness this uh, truth of tranquility. You know, And so it is something that is also built into it, by the way. But uh, something we can, uh, we do as a stabilizing factor. You know, so it's one of the pieces we bring to this. Uh, the second of these is simply known as concentration. You know, And I like sometimes better than that word is, is collecting. That we have to collect our minds. And just like uh, there's fact that, that we bring the body uh, to this stillness. We also have to bring the truth uh, of uh, the mind you know I use the word you know collecting itself, and obviously uh, this is where we have these objects of, uh, of breath or body, you know. Uh, to actually do that with. And so we take these and uh, train ourselves on the object uh, so that as we begin to do that, then uh, the mind collects itself and it actually strengthens uh, the mindfulness so that there's actually this clear comprehension uh, that is being supported in some way.
And that really has to do with the mind, you know. And then the third of these is sort of this snowplow, as I call it, um, is the sixth of these factors. And that factor uh, is equanimity. And equanimity, again, very much like joy, is a piece of the heart. You know, and so many times we, uh, a lot of times when we teach uh, the Brahma Viharas, uh, it is left till the last. But I think in some ways, uh, many times in teachings I've been to in Asia, where they start with equanimity, you know, and it is, uh, you know, kind of a fundamental teaching that is that that supports uh, the ability to um, hold and expand metta. You know, the loving kindness itself, and they, they, sometimes they call this the four pillars. Uh, and to me, the, that pillar of equanimity, uh, which holds the uh, loving kindness and compassion and sympathetic joy, uh, is the crowning piece uh, of these Brahma Viharas, uh, simply because it has the capacity to bring the ability to actually hold more. And I think one of the best examples, you know, I'm thinking in uh, Calcutta and Mother Teresa's, and, you know, I mean, it's such a complex city, and, and, um, and her hospice there, the thing that used to just amaze me, it just totally floored me, was the nuns who had to tell someone, you know, that they weren't, they weren't ready to die yet. And so they wanted to take them outside and bring someone else in who was closer to death. You know? And for some reason that was so moving to me because I realized, oh, how could I ever make you know, some kind of judgment that would say, you know, this person deserves to be here and this one doesn't. You know? And um, I, I, I don't... You know, I actually don't know what to do with it, but I realize what is it about is the capacity to actually broaden uh, your capacity to, um, you know, it's about keeping an open heart, but not getting lost, you know, in a sense, keeping perspective. And I know that, you know, uh, the sisters are... Mercy, they, they had to keep that. You know, it was just part of the teachings uh, at Mother Teresa's there in Calcutta. You know, that was a part of what had to happen. You know. And so just that's a little piece that we all uh, have to learn in some way. You know, but every one of these, um, you know, is given this gift when there's that equanimity. You know, and it really is, comes from this mindfulness and it is kind of the crowning, uh, I see as the kind of crown uh, of these, um, you know, really you could say they're higher emotions. You know, because a lot of what we learn here is we, you know, we mess around with these lower emotions of anger and fear and etc. And they kind of entrap us and catch us. You know, 
And then there are these lighter, higher emotions, and that they also have to be held properly, just as the lower emotions have to be held, or the heavy emotions, that also the light ones uh, have to be held that way. Um, I can't so I'm not going to read it to you but it's basically <laughs> a piece of Jnanapurnika Thera uh, a monk talking about the fact that this is the crowning piece that we all in some ways uh, work with with the mindfulness and that it gives us the strength to uh, to uh, work with love and sympathetic joy uh, and compassion. So I think that's really these seven factors and um, how to hold them. And there was uh, one last piece where I want to read the poem and it really has to do with my own practice and um, something in this, I was in Asia for six months this last year, um, sitting and going to classes and, you know, just being a student. And I had this one book I carried around with me all the time, and there were these five, uh, I think in a lot of times, in images and stuff, and there were these five images that maybe can help you in some way. They've been really helpful for me with this practice. And it has to do with staying open like the sky. So just to say that's possible. Um, To be unshakable like a mountain. And pervasive as the earth. And uh, shining like a flame. and lucid like a crystal. So these are just five uh, images of the, you know, of um, sky and uh, earth and mountain and flame and crystal, you know. And if one of these is helpful, uh, use it, you know, because a lot of this practice I see is that we get the fundamentals down, and then you're each going to teach yourself uh, however you think and how you work with things. Uh, in essence, you're going to, you know, it's just like saying, well, where do you feel yourself when we say, you know, be with the breath? You know, is it in your nostrils, your sinuses, your throat, you know, your chest, your diaphragm, your belly? You know, or your whole body. You know, uh, we each, in essence, are finding pieces to work with like that. So it's not a set thing. There's actually no wrong practice. You know, uh, the mindfulness doesn't work like that. You know, it's simply this capacity to bring it back and fully connect and try to find some way of balancing. And if you find balance, you know, this is the thing about these factors, if you find balance, 
when the teeter-totter lines up for a fraction of a second, everything lets go. That's kind of how it works. So, I like to finish with my poem here. Journey. Colors bursting on retina. Grass and trees washed clean. Entrancing eye, ears, nose, mind. California spring bursting towards summer. This valley vibrating towards its own creation. This silence so keenly decreed. Only this wind blowing can actually speak in this inhabited valley. Speaking only the language of leaves and branches rubbing. We came to this enchanted valley. So this human silence could tear bitterly at these closed places. You know, the betrayals, the pains, the regrets. Moments of all sorts. Lost forever. Good and bad. Drowned in all of time. Slowly to regain regain this fundamental clarity. Slowly to regain this fundamental clarity. These afternoon winds blowing new thoughts down. Down to the great highway. Remembering. Holding to anything. Holding to anything is not the point. Is not the point. Could it be like waking from a dream? A clear, buoyant mind. Wide like the sky. Has no need of any objects. Finding some balance, these factors. Awakening themselves. This crucible of a teeter-totter balanced on the head of a pin. Everything comes to the center point. The known world vanishes. Mind in its dualism has lost its home. All separateness, all separateness untrue. So let's just sit for a moment.
there is just one announcement I want. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.